Welcome to the Boy Meets World podcast. We already brought you a Philly perspective on the Super Bowl, so I balanced that with a true Patriots lens on the game. Uh, there's Pats fans, and then there are the type that were so enraged by Deflategate that they boycotted the league for a period of time. Uh, so I brought you one of those. My pal Andrew Gollinger from Newton, Massachusetts. Andrew now lives in Seattle, but he was nice enough to join me to talk Pats. He brought some great perspective on what it's like to be a Pats fan and the upcoming game. Enjoy it. I'm trying to think of the last time we saw each other. I think it was that one of the drafts. It must have been one of those drafts at Jeff's house. Yeah, it couldn't have been for a Super Bowl because I think you'd have been too too high strung for it. No, I watched those like locked in a basement by myself (laughs) with the lights off. Yeah. I will not. (laughs) <laughs> I will not expose myself to the public during it, especially yeah. Patriots. Well, Nor would they want to be exposed to you. What? What? Uh, what are the plans for Sunday? Uh, same as same as last year, man. I'm watching by myself. Wow. If, so, I was, if I was if I was in Boston, I'd, I'd probably get together with a big group. Um, yeah. And things are things are a little different nowadays because I, I have the baby and kind of uh kind of a lot to ask the wife to watch the kid on a Sunday night while I go out drinking and watching the watching a football game but right right but she she knew about all this before before you guys got into she knew what right? she signed up for that's true she knew, right. she didn't know the Super Bowl existed <laughs> yeah I don't know I I watched it by myself last year and I watched the Jacksonville game by myself I have like yeah. a, I have like three or four different text threads going at the same time probably several hundred texts exchanged during the game. So is there is there like one one text thread just for kind of like expletives and then there's one of like the hardcore X's and O's? No, they're all kind of blended together. Okay. It's hard to yeah. it's hard to do a lot of the X's and O stuff while you're watching a football game, especially like a game you're really emotionally invested in. Like mm-hmm. I, I can do kind of the basic game planning stuff like, hey, that guy is getting wide open. We should probably cover him. Right. But talking about like exposing the a gap and getting pressure on the quarterback from certain angles and stuff like I, I, I can't do that until I you know unless I'm watching it some other time later which I usually don't really do anymore so was there a, a why does Blake Bortles look like Dan Marino text exchange to there was you? like a hundred of those <laughs> but the thing is, is that that was kind of this entire season <laughs> Yeah, you know, right, exactly. Especially this whole the, season, it was like, oh, why does this quarterback look like the best quarterback of all time? Right. Yeah, the Alex Smith kick or kicking open the doors in the season oh was uh, <laughs> was symbolic for that. Uh, yeah, so absolutely. we we basically unofficially started anyway, so we'll just get right into it. Uh, Andrew Gollinger, thanks for thanks for joining me, my man. Where where in Mass are you from specifically? Uh, I grew up in a town in Newton, Massachusetts. Newton Mass. Okay. And so you uh Newton Streets of Newton. Yeah. You uh Newton North, Newton South, one of the two? Newton South. There we go. There we go. There's a it's really a really you good know your Boston geography already. I'm 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 doing okay. We're getting there. Uh there's apparently a really good hot dog location in Newton. Do you know I don't know what it's called. You you probably would though. I've I've been out of I, I haven't lived in Newton in almost a decade at this point, man. Okay. I have no idea. Okay, I gotta keep. Nothing comes to mind. And then you uh, you spent some time in Alston Brighton, which is where I currently currently reside. Yeah, so I grew up in Newton. I went to college in New Orleans, and then I moved back to Boston for about three years before I moved to Seattle. After the so, pod, we'll have to we'll have to talk about uh, some some New Orleans 
skiing because I'm going down there for a couple of days late February. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I think, yeah. Uh, she got some good advice for you. So this might be the last time you talk to me is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> just don't just don't piss in public. That's literally the only way to get arrested in New Orleans. Okay. All right. I'll get a prostate exam before you, I go down. As long as you pay the dollar or two to the front doorman at the bar to walk in and use the bathroom, you'll be fine. You'll make it back. I like it. I like it. I'll bring cash. Uh, so any favorite memories of uh, of your, your, your time at Alston Brighton? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, Sounds about right. Yeah, it, it was kind of a dump. I mean, it was it was post college, so it was a lot of that adjustment between drinking, going out four nights a week, to actually trying to resemble a real human being. So um, there we go. It, it was fun. I don't I don't honestly don't remember a lot about it. Yeah. So you said uh, Anna's Taqueria is your one your yeah, one staple that you missed up. I miss Anna's and Boca Grande. Boca Grande is definitely not around. I would have I would have seen that by no? now. No, it's not in uh, in Brighton Center anymore. I don't think so. I don't make it all the way up there. I'm I'm oh. like on the fringe of Alton, but uh, but That's yeah, huge no. News. Huh? Yeah, Sunset Grill and, closing. Uh, I miss I miss Pinos. Don't know Pinos. It's in uh, Cleveland Circle. You gotta hit Pinos. Okay, okay. Well, I got I got a list here. I miss uh, I miss pizza and bagels, in general. Was Regina Pizza around? Did you ever make it down that way? Yeah, definitely. Okay. I'm right by Regina Pizza. Like I looked down okay. on it for for my for my place. I, they um I don't think they were in Austin Brighton when I lived there, but they were definitely big in like the North End and stuff. Yeah, there we go. Pretty sure they had one at Logan Airport. Yes, still do. Uh, so what uh qualify your like Pat's fandom? Obviously, you know you grew up in in Mass, right in the heart of it. Um, but that doesn't really tell the whole story because I know plenty of people from Mass who aren't mass holes, but I, it sounds like you, you are unabashedly, and I know you are unabashedly just the uh, the most obnoxious Pats fan that anyone knows. <laughs> I mean, I like to think of myself as, as pretty middle of the road. If you if you compare me to the super subdued Seattle fan, you, you might consider <laughs> me like a huge mass hole, but compared to like Sully from South Boston, you know, I'm, I'm, pr- I'm pretty middle of the road. My uh, my my past militancy has definitely gone down as I've gotten older. I'm probably like a six or a seven out of ten nowadays. Mm-hmm. I, I uh, you know I I can't defend the wall like I used to. I, I can't fly out to big games like I used to. Sure. Obviously, still love the team, but priorities change a little bit. Have you ever called in to complain on 98.5 or one of your? Oh shows? no, Boston Sports Radio is awful. I prefer, <laughs> I prefer to forget that it exists. We could, we could agree on that, if nothing else. It is it is more entertainment than it is information. Um, but, I mean, uh, it's the entire it's the entire programming is built around trolling the fan base and, and saying things deliberately to get them angry. Right, right. You, it's it's not not an, an accident that all the uh, the no. DJs there are not from Mass. They don't they don't have genuine opinions. They just come up with whatever they know will piss the most people off, and they say it. Yeah, it's, it's and every it's now a, and again one of them calls Brady's daughter a pissant or something, and they get fired. Yeah, very uh, very classy way. I thought I thought Tom handled that, but but yeah, yeah. It's, it, 98.5 is just it's just muckraking uh, broadcast to the, to the masses. It's all, so it's all garbage. What is it like to be the only Pats fan in Seattle? I was gonna say, have they killed you yet ever since the Super Bowl? But but. Uh, as you Seattle, said, the, the, the subdued fan already forgot. Seattle, Seattle I, I went to CenturyLink, like, decked out in Pat's gear when they came here a couple years ago. 
Um, granted, this was before the Super Bowl, but uh, I mean, this is like the well. This is the, 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 the Seahawks. The Seahawks won on like a la, mm-hmm. on a last second pass. I don't remember who they sent who they passed it to. It was Sidney Rice. It was the You Mad Bro game, I think. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. And our and our corner bit the play fake with like a with like a minute left from midfield. <laughs> there was no way in hell that the Seahawks were running the ball on that play, but yeah. But it, anyway, Seattle was the, the Central Field was like the most welcoming fans ever. Every every single person was just you know asking me what it's like to be a visiting fan and complimenting the team and everything it was just, it was weird. Like, <laughs> compare that against like going to like Oakland or New York or something where everybody just wants to murder you. It's yeah, night and day. They, so they just they just want to make sure you're comfortable. So it's exactly. it's uh, they're very concerned. Yeah, it's it's good that you get a, a, more, a more rowdy fan base to play against in the Super Bowl uh, with with the Eagles, um, them and their, uh, their gallons of Crisco tubs under their arms. So you you have had the fortune of of five Super Bowl wins, which sounds absurd. Five Super Bowl wins in the last fifteen years, right? Oh, three was the first yeah, one. Two thousand one. So sixteen years, seventeen years. Do you feel at all spoiled, or is there is there like a just kind of um, because I, I know like Seattle fans would feel spoiled if they if they had two, yeah. but I think I think there's a certain like quest for more in in New England that that uh, sure. is, is unique to to Seattle fans. Well, the, the the Pats fan base in general has been so galvanized by you know the various accusations that have floated around that you know any sense of feeling guilty or wanting to share the wealth kind of dissipates when you think about stuff like that. Like, if, if Deflategate had never happened, I would definitely feel spoiled and guilty. But, you know, you just get so worked up about stuff like that that you're like, you know what, screw everybody else. I, I, we'll win all of them if that's how they're going to play it. You're hooked up to your blood pressure monitor, hopefully, uh, when you say Kinda. Deflategate. I can, I, can, I can feel it. I can feel the blood pressure rising, to be honest. All right, we'll get into that. So, of your five Super Bowls <laughs> that you have acquired uh, over the last 15 years, which just hurts to say, do you have a favorite? Um, yeah, uh, I'd say either the first one or the Seattle one. Um, wow. I mean, the first one, the first one was just so unexpected, and at that point, I know it's hard to believe, but I was conditioned to believe the Boston team would always lose. I mean, we had the Red Sox curse, and we had the past just being historically bad, and the time, the the time before that, the Celtics had won. I was I was too young to even remember, so I I grew up to, with with my teams always losing. So that Super Bowl was just so insanely unexpected, and we went in as like 14-point underdogs, and right. that was the year Bledsoe got injured, and no one really knew who Brady was. And then the Seattle one, because it had been a while, and as I mentioned, we were so galvanized by the flake game, we just kind of really wanted, really wanted that win. It had nothing to do with really sticking it to the Seattle fan base because again they're super accommodating, and everyone was wishing me good luck during the week at work. Uh, <laughs> Goddamn. Uh, embarrassing, <laughs> embarrassing, but not not surprising. Yeah, I think obviously that's my my least favorite one from from a financial perspective and, uh, and an emotional perspective. So so last season uh, didn't do anything for you, or, or it's not even in the top. Or is, is last season the the number three? Because I got uh, think Car- Carolina and Philly were, were pretty meh. In Carolina and Philly were so long ago too. So yeah, the the the, the Falcons victory has got to be number three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that, was just, I, that was just so crazy. I'd say the, the thing about both the Falcons' victory and the Seahawks' victory was that I did not enjoy one second of either of those games. 
It right. wasn't until I was until the clock was at zero and we had one that I had even the slightest bit of joy. And then even even in both of those cases, it still took like 15 or 20 minutes to process everything that had happened and like actually believe that we had won those Super Bowls. Is it safe to say that as a Pats fan, you don't feel any joy until the end of the Super Bowl? Oh, 100 percent. Not a second. I didn't enjoy a second of either of those. So I'm saying, like in the entire season, like like week oh, week, five, oh. week week five, you're playing the Bills. No, uh, no, no. You're up, oh, there's you're def- up. there's definitely a lot of enjoyment during the season. Okay, that's 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 comforting because there's part of me that worries that that there's a Patriots fan. I'm sure there there are examples <laughs> out there that go a solid 22 weeks out of the year with no enjoyment until just until angry. the clock too. Yeah. But yeah, angry. That's just generally, that's just New England in general. That might not yeah. have anything to do with that. But. It's yeah. probably the same way during the spring and the summer too. Yeah, it's it's cold and the the liquor store is not open and there's other things to be pissed about. Exactly. But uh, all right, well this this past season in general, I've I've kind of collected my '985 headlines about how it went. But but how would you kind of give like the the tale of four acts um, about this season? How did how did how did this season shape up to uh, to the point where it's kind of fourteen and two and and here we are. It was kind of a weird season. Like, at, at no time did I really feel like they were this dominant team that was bound for a championship. You know, they they added Cooks and Gilmore in the off season. We started talking about the year. And obviously, that was crazy, but didn't seem that crazy. Um, and then they lost Hightower and Edelman early in the year, and the defense was giving up, like, 30 a game between, you know, KC and Carolina and Houston those first couple weeks. Um, and we could have easily lost a bunch more games. I mean, obviously the Pittsburgh game that everyone talks about, but they could have lost to Houston. They could have lost to Tampa. They could have lost to the Jets. Um, but, you know, the, the deep quietly got it together, and, you know, we kind of got gifted a somewhat of an easier road through the playoffs. And, you know, the, the Jacksonville game obviously took a year off my life. But other than that, um, it's it's just been a strange year. I, I don't even know how to describe it. What one qualifier on that? Somewhat of a of an easy road to the to the playoffs or through the playoffs. Uh, Mariota, Bortles, and and Foles is all I can say. Yeah, you know, there's the final four were what Brady, Foles, Keenum, Keenum <laughs> and whoever, and uh, yeah, and uh, Foles or where, who did I say Bortles? Bortles, yeah. Uh, one of those, one of those is definitely not like the others. Yeah, it was, it was, from my perspective, it felt that way of like kind of pandemonium early in the season, and then uh, you look around and you realize that there's only three or four really good teams in the league. That's that. what it is. There just aren't that many good teams right now. Right, right. I mean, there's decent teams and fun teams, the Jaguars being in there, but you talk about great elite teams that just don't make mistakes. It's basically just the pass, and then the Eagles on the other side. I mean, Jacksonville, by all accounts, should have won that game. They got I'm glad you're, you're bored enough to admit that. They got hyper-conservative in the fourth quarter, and they started running those one-yard draws on every first down, and the, the pass just kind of figured out what was going on. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> well, what, know. Was your, what was your confidence level in that game when uh, when when uh, Dion Lewis fumbled on the sideline there? You know, it was actually higher than you would expect. A, I've just given the history, the fact that Jacksonville wasn't moving the ball much at that point, and the fact that that was actually one of the first good sustained drives where they got a bunch of field position 
in a mm-hmm. while. And, you know, once you saw them doing that, you realized there was still, what, eight, nine minutes left in the game. The likelihood that Jacksonville was going to score at that point was getting pretty low. Yeah. And I still felt decent, like the Pats had a shot to rattle off two more touchdowns, obviously. Danny Amendola needed to make a couple crazy catches, and it was it was going to be harder with Gronk, with Gronk, but without Gronk. But you know, when you when you have the goat on your side, it makes things a little bit easier. Oh boy, we made it. We made it 15 minutes in before you before you call him the goat. Uh, is he not the goat? <laughs> Do you think? I'm no, he's there. There is no doubt. I I, I think the, the the biggest thing with Brady that's impressive um, is. A that that the the deal he made with the devil wasn't wasn't televised or caught on social media at some point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but then also just the, the amount of times honestly that he's he's adapted his game going from what he was in that first Super Bowl and the first couple where he's just a game uh, manager and. I didn't and, think he was. I didn't think he was. I didn't really buy the hype until 2007. Until until Moss got there. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and then it became oh my God Brady can chuck it. 60 yards down the field. Uh, yeah, and then, then the, the the evolution where it became this kind of sideways game with Walker and Edelman. And, yeah, he's yeah. gone through all these iterations, which make him uh, I mean, impressive. You had, you had him going to the AFC Championship game with wide-eyed Rache Caldwell as his number one receiver. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> wide-eyed. Uh, I thought, interestingly enough, in that Jacksonville game, was how quickly? Or I get. I mean, it was in the fourth quarter, but even on that play that James or that uh, Deion Lewis fumbled, was the the backwards pass, uh, and then you, you had the the flea flicker on the drive before, maybe on that drive of just how quickly New England went to the kitchen sink in that fourth quarter of, of what we we might be in a little bit of trouble here. Yeah, they've. I've seen them do that a couple times now. They did that uh, against the Ravens a couple years ago. Was that the, the the four offensive linemen? Yeah, and then the the flea flicker with uh, Amendola and Edelman was like one of the the most the moments of most like pure joy that I've ever seen watching football just because it's so unexpected. Yeah, yeah that that was um, that was an all time game for sure. Uh, so so storylines these that I'm about to read to you are things that I may or may not have overheard about the past this season from from past fans, and these are just kind of. Uh, I wish I had the accent to, to really punctuate them, but the first one, and this is... Give it a try. You should give it a try with the accent, I think. I'll just say the first word on this one. Uh, dude, I would honestly rather have Ty Law right now than Stephon Gilmore. Yeah, I, I can see someone saying that in the first month of the season. Okay. Uh, our defense plays like they drink clam chowder instead of Gatorade. Okay. Uh, it's slow defense. No, you're not buying that one? Yeah, yeah. I, as I said before, like I, the defense didn't really feel that dominant. You know, we, yeah, I know it's it's definitely our, our best our best linebacker is Kyle Van Noy, and he was out for you know three or at least three or four weeks in the middle of the season. Yeah, uh, the third one was very near and dear to me because the store was next to where I work. But ooh, Julian Edelman opened up a new store. And that was kind of the, <laughs> the, the bought some time during the middle of the season when everything was rolling. Uh, and then uh, this one, this one's just kind of New England uh, intensified here. My wife left me, so I'm going to pretend to be afraid of Pittsburgh to re- reinvigorate my life. <laughs> uh, forget spying. James Harrison is the new Richard Seymour. Okay. Seth Wickersham is a knack. A knack? That was not bad. Not bad. Uh, 
should we crucify Rex Burkhead for hitting Tom Brady's hand? Yeah, that one I wholeheartedly agree with. And then the most recently recent one was, uh, honestly, Jacksonville was basically the 85 Bears. Pretty much. What was that? Uh, what was the D-back's name that hit Gronk in the head? Oh, uh, Barry Church. Barry Church. Yeah. I mean, what what was his punishment from the league? Like a 10k, 20k fine. Yeah, 15 yard, 15 yard penalty. He should have gotten. He should have gotten at least like 10 years in prison for that hit. Yeah, Frankly, I, mean, uh, I don't think he should. I think he should be in prison for life with no parole. I mean, that's that was attempted murder. I think the NFL just just followed uh, the precedent that they set when when Gronk cheap shotted Tre'Davious White <laughs> of, of just the one game, uh, something like that. Uh, I mentioned Seth Wickersham because that was kind of the uh, the ultimate things are things are just kind of rolling along in New England, and then that article drops, and then you kind of look around and, and question whether whether things are truly fine. What was your uh, – obviously, you read it probably more than once. What what was your reaction to the Wickersham article when it came out? You no, know, uh, I, I didn't read it. Didn't even read it? Didn't read it. Uh, I, I don't believe that ESPN has credible sources with the Patriots. Um, and that and whole, this, the whole – This like, goes back palace, to – The whole palace intrigue stuff, like I, I'm just – I'm not really buying it from, from that group, right? Brady's taken – Brady's taking below market value salaries for how long? Do you think he really cares about getting player of the week or whatever it was? Like, I, I know some of the general themes from the article, um, and, I, and I believe there was probably tension. You, you put any group of people together for long enough, and there's going to be tension. And I'm sure they didn't know what to do about Garoppolo and everything, but I, I'm, I don't know that I'm really buying some of the hyperbole from that article. Yeah, there's a it's it's a weird article because it's just kind of it's it's so not concrete. It's like a it's like a peanut butter jar that's just not sealed all the way when you're when you're reading it, and it 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 makes it kind of a weird read of you don't know what to trust and and what not to. So it is interesting. Uh, a couple of things that are baffling to me is is the uh, kind of the public versus private just mockery of, of Alex Guerrero and how basically <laughs> basically everyone knows that this guy is, is out there and, and just a total radical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you said it. Uh, just a quack, but here he is still involved, still a part of things. Um, and it's just kind of, it, it's a reality of, of life at this point in New England. The other one was how in God's name do Tom Brady and Jimmy Garoppolo have the same agent? I don't know. That's a, that's a, that is a little weird. Uh, there, there's no, I don't, I don't even know why the agent would want to take that, um, yeah. other than then you're representing two high-profile clients. But that's yeah. just the ultimate conflict of interest that I feel like both Brady and Garoppolo would would want something else to represent them. But doesn't that kind of speak to them really not having, the, you know, the level of tension that was described in that article? Like they couldn't coexist with the same agent unless they at least somewhat got along at some level. I, th- I think they self-absorbed. Yeah, I think they did get along, but the the Patriots, uh, I I think that they they could coexist, I should say, but I think that the Patriots would want a, other than that because then at that point then they have no no ability to to work and to leverage one against the other for any sort of deal. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was, I was. I was definitely. I was definitely sad to see Garoppolo get traded, and I was hoping. He would stick around long enough to take the brand, to take the reins when Brady retired, but I'm, they just couldn't afford to keep around two 
two expensive quarterbacks. So, so you 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 believe I might be putting words in your mouth here, but you you believe that that Belichick ultimately preferred to keep Brady around for I don't know whatever time amount we have left with with Brady versus restart with Garoppolo. Yeah, I mean Brady's earned it, I, and I know Belichick doesn't necessarily follow that mindset, but I, the Patriots aren't going to trade Tom Brady. They're not going to cut Tom Brady, so I think they're going to let Brady stick around as long as he wants. Um, and you know, if they, if they think he has, and my guess is they think he has at least two or three more years. You know, there's there's another draft coming up this year with a lot of good quarterbacks. They can they can just draft they can draft another one and develop them over a couple of years. Yeah, with the uh, the 36th overall pick or whatever they they, they scoop for for Garoppolo. Uh, for Garoppolo, that's right. For future I do, wish, I, do I do not understand why we can't do better for some of these people that we trade. Yeah, Jamie Collins only got us a second rounder. Well, Jamie Collins, he's, I mean, has just proven that that New England maximizes value. Um, so that that was kind of it's, it's tough to say because everybody goes to the Browns and looks like shit. That's true. That is very true. Um, I however, love Jamie Collins when he has a pat. Yeah, he was he was the best defensive player y'all had like in six seven years since since like Rodney Harrison, I feel like. But uh, but. Just to, to fleece him, and it's just kind of how many how many guys can you name? Because I think it's Jamie Collins is the ultimate example. But how many guys can you name? Welker included in my mind. Of uh, just you know seemed like great Patriots, and then were were ousted because it just was no longer a fit. <laughs> yeah, there's there's probably quite a few. Who, who's the original sin? Do you remember like the first the first prime time example of that? Would you say Matt Castle? Castle could work. Uh, Mankins is the one that that comes to mind. Yeah, I don't know. I, I can't think of anybody, but I mean, Bledsoe really wasn't particularly good when he left New England. But yeah, very true. Did um, he go Buffalo? He went to Dallas, I think. Dallas. Yeah, to uh, to save them from the Quincy Carter era. The, none of those, like Ben Watson, Daniel Graham, Ben Coates, none of those quarter, none of those tight ends were any good when they left. Curtis Martin had some good years when he left. Yeah, yeah, that was. I think they let Martin go, but yeah, I mean, just kind of that that mentality of of the, uh, you know, as soon as it's no longer you're going to become a, a financial or a, a locker burden to us, then then you are yeah. going to, going to be turned into draft picks, uh, like no doubt. Uh, so getting into the Super Bowl coming up on Sunday, you you described your plan. So so when you're in your your secluded barricaded basement watching the game by yourself uh, with the lights off. Sweating profusely with the lights off. Uh, what slash who scares you the most about about the Philadelphia Eagles team? Well, it just it seems like they have that formula that that gives the Pats a ton of trouble, right? They can they can get pressure rushing four. They have a a very fast athletic D line, and then they can they can play man in the secondary. And I, and I actually think that they're a predominantly zone team, but it, it seems like they have the, the at least the talent in the secondary to play man. Um, and you know, if, if Brady can't get the ball out quicker, they disguise their coverages pretty well. Uh, it, it, he could definitely have a lot of trouble. So I'm worried about I'm worried about this game on both sides of the on both sides of the ball in the trenches. So uh, when uh, when I when you when you hear that or or watch that Philadelphia has a, a very good defensive line, um, just for the for the audience's sake, what does what does that remind you of? Are you are you trying to get me to say the New York Giants? 
I'm trying to get you to say the New York Giants. Okay. Well, I'll say the New York Giants for the audience. Yeah. Uh, that's just what comes to mind in, in thinking back to, to the to at least the most recent edition of the Giants team that beat the Pats was that they had O.C. Manura, Limbaugh Joseph, Chris Canty, uh, Jason Pierre-Paul, Justin Tuck that they could rotate through, and yeah. then you have you have all of those guys who are Pro Bowl level players, um, some of them at their peak of their powers there, uh, that you can rotate through, which is similar to what the Eagles have set up, and yeah. kind of you, you saw Jacksonville's D line was was giving. New England fits through the first three quarters of that game, but they couldn't sustain drives long enough to keep that D line fresh. Yeah. That's why I think Philly can can really beat you is is by doing both of those things of, of sustaining long drives and rotating defensive line. You see Doug Peterson having a ton of success with Nick Foles as his quarterback, so you gotta you gotta give the guy some credit for being a pretty good coach, and he probably won't make some of the dumb decisions that Doug Marone made for Jacksonville. So. You know, I'm, I'm worried about the Eagles' ability to rattle off five, six, seven yards of carry, and I'm worried about their ability to get a ton of pressure on Brady, especially if they're only rushing four. I think uh, if if the Eagles end up winning, that they might give the Super Bowl MVP to the bye weeks that they had uh, coming off of week, week 17 where they lose by six to Dallas. And then between – Coming off of a game like they just had with Minnesota, I think this bye week right now hurts them. Very true. Very true for how much momentum they had. I don't think anybody, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think anybody saw them going or uh, playing against what many consider to be the best team in the NFC. Mm-hmm. When we were doing our, our, our playoff league fantasy draft, you and I in your brother's league, the Eagles all got drafted last because everyone assumed they were one and done. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, I, I got Zach Ertz in like the last round, um, which which is absurd. I think he got picked like after Delaney Walker and yeah. um, other tight ends who. who I, really I drafted. I think I drafted Austin Hooper before him. So <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. So so um, yeah. I mean, they were they were underdogs in both games at home because of how they were playing at the end of the season. So that bye week got them ready. And then, yeah, I mean, I was just talking to a Philly fan about uh, no one expected them to, to put up 38 points against the best defense in the NFL, arguably. I mean, they, were, a, they, they were just home underdogs two weeks mm-hmm. in a row. Yeah. Has that ever yeah. happened before? No, I, I don't think so. Um, I, don't I, I was, it was, it was wild that they were underdogs against Atlanta um, coming into that game. But but like we said, there was no reason to, to think that they wouldn't be uh, coming into that game. I, I think, um, yeah, like you said, that even the Falcons last year, just some, some inventive play calling, you know, getting their athletes all over the field. There's kind of that, that same recipe there. Um, not They don't have Julio Jones or, or Devontae Freeman even really um, in terms of elite level, level playmakers or Matt Ryan, to, to be fair. Uh, but I think that there's there's pieces there. So, so there's no, like, one – Eagles weapon that 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 you're that you're too scared of. It's more the the whole, the really. whole team schematics. Yeah, they don't. I you know you know how Belichick loves to take away the team's best weapon. I, I don't know who he's going to game plan around. Earth, right. maybe. It's probably maybe Earth stopping the run and letting Nick Foles beat him. It's probably Earth. Yeah, I think I think if you can if you can take Earth out, then you kind of take Foles' security blanket out, and you make him beat you with Jeffrey and and Aguilar down the field, and. Yeah. I think you kind of live with that if Nick Foles can can recreate that success that he's had because they're going to have, seems, they're gonna have a mismatch somewhere. 
Definitely, definitely. Because uh, we don't really have a slot cornerback, and they have three capable receivers. Right. So, so as a as a Pats fan, this is what year like eight of Gronk. Something like Around that. Yeah, he was the yeah. same year as Aaron Hernandez, wasn't he? Yeah. So I think he came yeah. in like 10, 11. Um, yeah. So with Gronk, he's he's been in and out of injuries for for so much of his career. How do how do you think the Pats balance the the Eagles? Don't really have anyone that can cover Gronk, but also we can't run Gronk down the middle every play because of what we just saw with Barry Church and how how yeah. he gets tackled because of his size. I think I think I expect that it's all hands on deck. That they're going to do whatever they need to do to gain yards on, on any given play, and if that entails Gronk coming down the middle twenty plays in a row, then that's when they're going to run. Yeah, I, and you kind of saw that against Pittsburgh um, yeah. late in the season of, of when you when you saw the ability to to clinch the the conference and the clinch home field that that they just went for it. He's he's the biggest mismatch they have. I mean, you you look back at the Eagles schedule throughout the year and some of the some of the games they had a tough time and it was because they got gashed by the opposing team's tight end. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Uh so it should be interesting. I, I'm I'm going back and forth on, on kind of the, the the four and a half line. I think I know what direction I'm gonna go. But can you can you see any scenario here where New England wins in a blowout? Because I it feels like everyone thinks this game's gonna be within uh a touchdown or or so. I mean, I, I still have the pessimistic Boston fan deep down in me, and I, I, you know, I still think everything is going to fall apart, even though the Patriots have proven that that's not likely, a likely scenario. So do I see a blowout? Absolutely not. Will I be ecstatic if the Pats are up 31 nothing halfway through the first quarter and I can just relax the rest of the game? Absolutely. But uh, but I, I, don't, I don't expect it to happen. I think it'll be really close. The largest margin of victory for all of these is, what, like six? Uh-huh. Yeah, in that thirty-one to nothing scenario, do you then go upstairs and say hi to your family, or do you still? No, no, absolutely not. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I need, all right. I need so, to be quarantined till the till there's zero seconds left on the clock. Right, and they're probably stoked to to have you walled off for for three hours as well. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> all <laughs> right, so get all kinds of words he doesn't need to know. Exactly. Um, our, our my my brother and your friend Jeff are are setting the, the the example for that, so don't worry. Um, so give me just what's what's your prediction? Super Bowl Fifty Two. How's it going to go down? I think it's going to go down very similarly to the Jacksonville game. Okay. So I, I think you're going to have Jackson. I think you're going to have Philadelphia getting out ahead early. I think they're going to move the ball effectively. I think Nick Foles is going to make some some good throws. He's going to look like the good Nick Foles. Good good Nick Foles, which the Patriots secondary is very capable of making any quarterback look good. Um, and I think the Pats coaching staff is going to take, you know, 30 to 45 minutes to figure out what the Eagles' game plan is, what they're trying to do, and then they're going to spend the last 20, 25 minutes taking what the defense will give them and hopefully pulling it out at the end. Final score? Gosh, I, I really think it's going to be so similar to the Jacksonville game. I want to say the same exact score, but uh, I'm, I'm going to go with it. I'm going to say 24-20. All right, I'm holding to that. So, so either way, I should take take the Eagles uh, plus four and a half. I mean, I'm I'm taking the pass, but I'll I'll certainly acknowledge I'm betting with my heart on that one because yeah, I'm obviously going to bet the game, and I'm not going to bet against the pass. So it's really I really haven't thought much about the spread. 
that's what we call hedging folks uh so There's so no <laughs> we're we're set on on Super Bowl 52 I I save this for the end because uh if if it gets too out of hand then we can just hang up on each other we're going to talk we're going to talk about deflategate and it's something that that uh I think I'm I'm good with 97% of it. I've I've listened to the the MIT lecture. I get ideal gas law. I get that there's physics in play that would explain uh the what the goings on as something other than foul play. I get that. But there were two things to me that were never explained or you know never explained and and you don't have an answer for them or never explained, and I'm just ignorant to them. So I would hope that you can enlighten me on these. The first one is, why did Tom Brady destroy his cell phone? So, backing up a second here. It's not that, I'm not going to be able to explain why he did it. I'm not Tom Brady. I can present plausible scenarios where it was an innocuous act, and I think in the absence of some compelling evidence of guilt, that should be sufficient. Of, of course, there's some reason for for being, you know, speculative about it. But, you know, there's there's a lot of, I don't know. Anyway, so why did Tom Brady destroy his phone? My opinion is that the phone is a bit of a red herring. And I think it was designed to produce the appearance of guilt while having nothing to do with the underlying evidence. So, like, for example, why did they, why did Ted Wells tell them they didn't need the phone only to turn around and use it as evidence against Brady? You know, you, I would expect that most A-list celebrities would destroy their phone once they were done with them. So, that it just doesn't seem that suspicious to me. Okay, so, so the, the phone exists. And the fact that it was destroyed in the the, the relative time frame of, of when this is all happening, it, it's it's innocuous. It has nothing to do with with the uh, the actual allegations. It, it's not that he just he did it, you know, on his own. He was he was told he didn't need they didn't need the phone as evidence, and they had the ball boy's phone. So like, who else was Tom Brady texting about this alleged ball ball deflation scheme? And okay. In, so in the end, in the end, didn't he? Offered to provide all of the all of the text messages from his phone anyway, and Goodell said it was too inconvenient. Uh, Goodell not wanting to do his homework on a situation is certainly not surprising to me. So, so yeah. I would. You work, I would, I would don't you work for like the Concussion Foundation or something? Uh, I sure do. Yeah. So, <laughs> so it seems like of all people, you'd be um, you'd be aware of uh, how dishonest Roger Goodell can be. Yeah, Roger's a good friend of ours. Uh, so. Uh, sit, we'll just leave it at that. I'll save my my uh, employment status there. Uh, and then the the last thing is is did we ever find out why the uh, the equipment guy's name or nickname was the Deflator? And if you tell me that it's because of his weight loss, I'm gonna I'm gonna be skeptical. Like I guess okay. So what do you mean by nickname? He was he was called the Deflator in in a text message, right? But one text message, right? Like, wouldn't if something was a nickname, like something that was that actually had some underlying, like, justification to it, and it was something that was he was frequently referred to as, wouldn't you see it in more than one text message? So, so you have this one this one text message, like, way into the off season that no one knows what it was for, and maybe it was super shady, or maybe it was something else. But you take anybody's text messages out of context, and you can make an argument that they're super shady. 
Um, but then there was another text message where the same dude said, you know, what, what did he say? The balls are supposed to be 13 or the balls are supposed to be 14 or something. And that's a direct statement of intention as opposed to deflator, which is kind of cryptic and no one really knows what that means. Yeah, yeah, that that is that is true. That there there is harder evidence within text if you're going to use text as a thing, uh, harder like counter evidence. I'm saying. Yeah. However, I don't use anyone's name in a text message. I, like I, I don't. I didn't say, "Hey, Andrew, thanks for joining me on the podcast." Hey, Andrew, are you still ready to to go on at seven? Um. So so I get what you're saying. However, I still think that that, it, at least in my opinion, is one of the kind of. I don't know. It's like the Bermuda Triangle of this situation. Of like, like I said, I'm 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 good with with a large majority of what happened, um, and I you know I think it's it's worth having you mention to the audience uh, your stance on the NFL afterwards. You boycotted fantasy football. Did you boycott like the entire league that that following season? I I tried. It wasn't successful. I I successfully boycotted probably two or three weeks. Ultimately, that's a lot. I, Ultimately, my addiction to gambling brought me back more so than my addiction to the NFL itself. Las Vegas bring this all together. Like, I really enjoy watching and gambling on sports, and that was something that was definitely missing during my boycott. Well, we missed you that fantasy season, that, that is for sure. Is, is this, uh, is this... Your brother keeps trying to get me to come back. Well, he, he's it trying to leave now. I was, I, was in like, I was in like six leagues before the boycott, and I narrowed it down. I only stayed in one league after, and the only reason I stayed in it is because it was an auction draft, and I really enjoy auction drafts. There we go. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in six leagues, and I'm trying to. I'm trying to, to deflate my my amount of leagues for sure. I don't want to be in as many leagues. I see what you did there. <laughs> Uh, all right, Andrew. Uh, I won't take any more of your time. I'm, I'm sure uh, your boss. I'll, or, I can or, or, I can talk past all day. Yeah, uh, I won't get you fired though. So so we'll leave it at, at what we have. Uh, thanks so much for coming on and giving giving the uh, those lukewarm Seattle fans a nice perspective on on uh, a, a relentless pursuit of winning. Once again, those are the stylings of Andrew Gollinger. Thanks to Andrew for coming on and defending the at times insufferable Pats Nation. But I thought he did a great job. Uh, should be a good one. Thanks for listening. <laughs>